Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. And my name is Dr. Andrew Trasida from Somerset Clinical, Clinical Commissioning Group. And I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Peter Bagshaw, GP and CCG Mental Health Lead. And we're really pleased to welcome today Nerissa Shaw to help us with understanding eating disorders. Nerissa, please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself. Hello, um, I'm Nerissa. Um, I'm the clinical lead at the Somerset and Wessex Eating Disorder Association. So we're a, a Southwest based charity that supports anyone who's suffering or supporting someone who's suffering with an eating disorder. Um, I'm a psychotherapist and I'm in charge of all of the clinical decisions here at SWEDA, um, what services we offer, helping to support people and looking after our team. And you've come along at a really good time. I was asked to do an article for an, a nursing journal looking at the uh, mental health effects of lockdown. And the thing that jumped out has been the huge jump in eating disorders and uh, body image issues, especially amongst teenage girls. Did, is that something that you're seeing? Absolutely. We're, we're seeing a huge increase in the services that we've offered um, I believe uh, sort of if we compare this year with last year, a sort of comparable period, we've got an increase of 91 percent in inquiries for help. Um, there's a nationwide increase of four. So four as four times as many people are seeking help for eating disorders um, as were the same time last year. And it is particularly uh prevalent in young girls i think it's really been exacerbated by lockdown um and i think there's a lot of reasons for that but um yeah all around i think in all services we we can see that increase thank you so just help me understand Marissa, what is an eating disorder what, what how, how do we categorize them uh, is there just one is it more than one and what does it mean yeah, so I think the first thing to say is that eating disorders are serious mental illnesses. They're not a lifestyle choice or um, a decision that people make. Um, they're very serious. And anorexia, anorexia nervosa in particular, has uh, one of the highest mortality rates of any mental illness. So a lot of people die from, from anorexia. So they're very serious indeed. But Really, what they're about is disturbances in the way in which somebody eats their eating behaviour or other behaviours that are intended to control weight or manage the size of a person's body. Um, it usually takes various forms. There's more than one type of eating disorder. So we can't really make any big generalisations. I think we can say... Um, having said that, <laughs> that there is often a, a a very serious obsession with food. So that might be uh, avoiding food altogether or binge eating. Um, there's often an obsession with body shape or weight, um, extreme control or um, attempts to control um, how much is eaten in any one time. Um but, but it's not just about food. It can also be about other measures that people might take to uh, gain, well, lose weight usually. But um, I suppose we're talking about things like exercise. We might be talking about things like vomiting after eating, but behaviours that are to try and compensate for food eaten. 
Um, another thing that we often see, I think, is an intense fear of gaining weight or a real fear of becoming fat um, to a much greater extent than we might see in uh, a person who doesn't have an eating disorder. Thank you. That's really helpful. And so if we think about eating disorders in terms of relationships, is it that the relationship with food is out of balance, the relationship with one's own body is out of balance, or the relationship with one's own self is out of balance? Or is it all? Wow, I think I think that's a really good question, actually. And um, I mean, I, I think it's it's to do with all of those things, really. I think an eating disorder is an expression of distress or unhappiness um, in I don't want to make too many generalizations, but I guess in the same way that people turn to certain sorts of behavior when they're unhappy, that is one way of looking at it. Um, so I think relationship with the self is usually disturbed. People with eating disorders often don't have a very high opinion of themselves. Um, the relationship with food is how it's expressed. The, the relationship with the body is how it's expressed. And I think the, the food body thing is very closely interlinked. For some people, it's more about the body. For others, it's more about the food. I've read that for some people, it's a way of gaining control when their life feels out of control in other ways, in, in exactly the same way that people with OCD get control over things by by repetitive actions. Is, is, is that right or is, is that nonsense? I think um, certainly I've heard a lot of clients that we've had here at Swedish say that, um, specifically say everything in my life felt out of control and this was one thing that I could control. Um, but I've also heard people say, no, that doesn't apply to me. Um, but I think it's something that is quite common yeah the idea that I mean certainly in the pandemic there's nothing about it that we can control we can't control where we go when we do what we can't we can't see our friends and family there's not much to do um, and I think that has led people down that road I can control this I can control what I eat I can control my weight and that gives me a sense of uh, comfort in some way so how might I notice that I had an eating disorder? Because very often those of us who aren't very well um, in some sort of way and we have distorted relationships and distorted sense of self, we're the last person to realise. But what are the things that, that others might notice or might bring to my attention or what might I notice? Um, I think it's interesting with eating disorders because quite often there is a, a denial there, um, particularly... Uh, with anorexia and bulimia, two of the, I suppose, main eating disorders, people may deny for a long time that there is a problem, you know, that everything is fine. But I think uh, we might see things like um, a lot of weight loss or a lot of weight gain. We might see secrecy. Um, we might see uh, strange behaviour around food weighing every day, um, hiding food, um, distress, uh, a whole number of things, really. And any physical changes, um, whether I was a boy or a girl, would there be anything characteristic that might happen if I lost a lot of weight? I mean, um, in girls, I think one of the things that happens is uh, period loss. So girls will stop menstruating. 
but um not always um and that's when it gets to that stage that's quite serious because it will start to interfere with uh the amount of estrogen in the body which can cause osteoporosis things like that so if somebody's periods have stopped that is quite a serious sign that something is wrong and that person needs some help and as parents i think a lot of us will have seen teenage children go through stages when they're fussy eaters or they have problems with food or they get a bit overweight and very self-conscious about it what what's the stage at which we should push the push the big red button and ask for your help yeah i think one of the things that's so difficult is um that uh we've got one of our trustees works with uh, an organization in at bristol well at ue um, called the center for appearance research and so she does research on how we feel about our appearance and what what they say is that 90 percent of us have some dissatisfaction with how we look so dissatisfaction with how we look is now normal so it's sometimes hard to tell when when <laughs> what's normal from what's not but I think certainly um, if you're worried as a parent, you can give us a call and we will always be able to talk you through the process of what's happening with your young person. But certainly if you feel um, they're eating a lot less than they're used to, they're avoiding meals perhaps by, oh, I'm too busy, I'm not hungry, um, you noticing that perhaps food is disappearing Maybe this is our our first chance to get in a plug for how people get in touch with you. So we always give out the Mindline num- number uh, for Somerset residents, but I think you link in with that, don't you? So can you tell us how we get in touch with, with Sweden? Yeah, certainly. I mean, um, so we've got a website, which is uh, swedenuk.org. Um, you can call us. Our main number is 01749 three four three three four four but we also have a separate helpline which is open on a tuesday and a sunday where anybody can call you don't have to say who you are you could be a young person yourself or somebody supporting someone else um, and you can call us on 0300 330 5464 and that's tuesdays between 8 p.m and 11 p.m and sundays 11 a.m to 2 p.m Thanks ever so much. Um, and so if I do contact you, or, or if I'm a young person contacting you, or a person of any age, what, what, might, I, what might I expect? Um, how are you going to, what, what reception do I get? What welcome do I get? And, and how can you help me? Okay, so we've got quite a, a clear process. So if somebody gets in touch with Sweda, the first person they'll likely speak to is one of our support workers. If they email, they'll be put in touch with one of our support workers. And we've got one in each of the areas of Somerset. And they're all experienced uh, people, very warm and understanding, with good knowledge about eating disorders. And they'll arrange what we call a support and guidance appointment. And that's a one-off appointment of about an hour to an hour and a half. And that's your kind of welcome to Sweda. And it's for you to tell us what the problem is, for us maybe to give you some advice, to listen to what you've got to say. For some people, it might be the first time they've ever spoken about their eating problem. Um, certainly, we've had people who've had it for years and have never spoken to anybody. 
So, yeah, that would be the support and guidance appointment. And we can do those um, on Zoom or by phone. And hopefully very soon we'll be able to do them face to face in our offices at Shepton Mallet. Um, from that appointment as well, the other thing that will happen is you will hear about the services that Sweden offer. So we offer counselling. We offer a more focused 12 session intervention. We've got a weekly support group. Um, we can go into some of the colleges so you'll hear about those options and the support worker will talk through with you what might be best for you. It might be that you're not ready to go on to something yet and that's fine. We can share some books and resources with you and the doors open for when you are ready to come back. If you'd like to pick up one of those services, um, we'll put you on the pathway to do that. You'll have an assessment with either myself or my colleague, Sarah. Um, to find out a little bit more about you, um, a little bit more in-depth information, and then we'll match you up with a therapist or whoever's appropriate for you to do the work that we've decided you'd like to focus on. And just in practical terms, I, I know that sometimes parents have concerns and the, the person who's suspected to have an eating disorder doesn't have any worries or vice versa and the, the person might w- not want their parents to know. I'm, are, there, are there restrictions on who can phone in? And um, Well, no, I mean, um, that's, that's very true, I think. And certainly we parents will often call us and say, you know, my, my child isn't ready to speak to you or doesn't want to speak to you, but I'm worried. Can you help me? And they will have a support and guidance appointment themselves with the support worker and they can talk through their worries. They can be heard. They can kind of get some of that off their chest and help help them. We can help them decide what the next steps might be. I mean, it might be that we're so seriously worried. We we feel the the person needs to go straight to CAMS or to the doctors. And we, we, we do do that quite often um, if necessary. Um, young people can call us as well you don't need to be a particular age um, and we will listen to you and we won't make any decisions for you um, unless you want us to unless you're in very serious danger Um, so certainly anybody can call at any stage whether they think they've got an eating disorder but they're not sure or they know they've got an eating disorder and it's been going on for many years um that's what we're here for really to help you find out what's going on and to offer you help if that feels appropriate that's really helpful to know that anyone with concerns about an eating disorder whether they're the parent or the person themselves can contact you and they'll have a sympathetic hearing Now, you've already said that it's a difficult thing to deal with. So how do you help people to overcome an eating disorder? So, um, I mean, there's a number of ways in in which uh, an eating disorder works. I mean, we can look at it in, I think, a number of ways that there's some predisposing factors. So things that might already be within a person or within a person's life that make it more likely that they'll get an eating disorder and then there's something that kicks it off, some kind of precipitating event, you know, uh, it could be a traumatic event or it could just be that the person starts a diet. And then after that, there's things that keep the eating disorder going. So it's useful to work with the person to identify all three of those stages, really. What 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 was already in your life that might have led to this situation occurring what was it that kind of started things off? Can we kind of unpick and explore that a bit? And what are the things that keep the eating disorder going? So, for example, it might be that um, the person 
really wants to not have an eating disorder anymore, but their fear of gaining weight is so big that they can't kind of overcome it to to take the next step. So we might work more specifically on that aspect of it. So, um, I mean, I guess talking therapy is is the that what we do certainly here at Sweda, and we tend to look at it a bit like on those three levels. Um, and by doing that, we can kind of see where we need to focus. Is it that there is a an emotional event in the past that's unresolved, and would looking at that, unpicking it, and resolving it uh, make things better? Or is it just that the person's absolutely ready to recover, but there's one or two things that are just getting in the way? Um, and can we work in a more practical way on what those things are in order to sort of help them overcome? That's really helpful. And do you have any particular advice? You know, we hear about social media and conventional media and, and how, how, how particular body shapes are idolised or, or, or encouraged. And that can make us feel ashamed or very uncomfortable about our own body. And, you know, particularly when there's airbrushing and, and filters and false information, how do, how do we cope with that? Have you got any particular advice as to how to, to cope with that sort of difficulty? with those 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 triggers potentially that are out there in the environment all the time it's really difficult i think you're absolutely right i mean social media well all media really is is kind of packed full of idealized bodies um i think um you know there's a very particular image of what constitutes uh the ideal body um in a woman and in a man and they're different. I mean, we're, we're certainly seeing an increase in eating disorders in men as well. But the ideal body types are are kind of out there for everybody to see. And certainly in young people, those that sort of awareness between what is real and what is not real can be harder. Um, I think a lot of young people are aware that airbrushing happens, but perhaps they're not quite so aware of when it's happened I guess if that makes sense at all um and I think for me uh what we tend to uh I suppose our philosophy here is a bit more about not seeing the body as such a large part of who we are really so our body is a vehicle that gets us around it does all of these wonderful things it keeps us alive. It helps us to enjoy activities. It gives us pleasure. It does a whole range of really amazing things. And it doesn't need to look a certain way to do that. So, um, you know, if you imagine a pie chart uh, where the section of how important my body is to me is very large, what we'd like to do is kind of make that a bit smaller, really, and think about all the other aspects of us that make us who we are how we look and our body is a very small part of us as an identity and I think the kind of promoting that talking about that helping people to understand that they're more than a body is really important and underpinning perhaps what you're saying are two sort of things about proportion getting things in proportion and also respect and and how much how much is that true are, are, are are respect and proportion important and and how do you help people if they are um so i mean yeah i think getting things in proportion is a it's a, a good way of putting it really um but 
you know, it doesn't, I suppose it doesn't mean that to that person in that moment, what they're, what they're feeling is not so painful, so real, um, so, so huge. And I think acknowledging that um, is a really important thing to do rather than just saying, well, it's not like that. It's like this. It's, it's, well, I do understand that that's how it feels. um, But could we maybe just take a look at a different viewpoint um and just see how it might feel after looking at that so I think it has to be a really gentle process that as you say respects where that person is what their beliefs are um but but helps them to maybe see the world in a slightly different way um a bit like what I'm saying I suppose about going from you know my body and my appearance are the most important thing they take up 80 percent of my thought process 80% of my life and I think that's 80% of who I am well actually maybe I can move to a place where it's only 60% and then only 40% and eventually get to a place where yeah my body and appearance I don't have to love it I don't have to be 100% happy with it but um, I can accept it and I can understand that there's a whole load of other things that make me who I am I think you've made a really important point there, Nerissa. I'm, I'm glad you raised it. This business of acknowledging people's feelings as being genuine is important, not just in eating disorders, but any sort of mental health issue, isn't it? And it's kind of the first step. If, if somebody comes to us in distress or with an uncomfortable feeling or some sort of mental health uh, issue, to me, the most important thing that we can do to help them uh, is to acknowledge that those feelings are genuine. Absolutely. And I think that is something that um, perhaps is, is, is difficult for people with eating disorders. It's, it's sometimes very hard for people to understand just how frightening food might be to a person. I mean, to someone without an eating disorder, you know, you might have a whole range of feelings about food, different foods. And, um, you know, yeah, you might sort of think, oh, I eat too much of that. And that's not so great. But to a person with an eating disorder, food can be literally terrifying. It can be like being asked to eat a plate of something revolting, you know, like spiders or insects. It's to sit down at the table three times a day and be asked to do that is incredibly frightening and incredibly distressing. And patience and understanding of that makes such a huge difference I mean the the sort of attitude of oh well can't you just eat it or why can't you just eat or it's not that difficult it's just food those sort of things I think can really alienate um, a person with an eating disorder Um, and I mean I think that's it's, it's great that Somerset's got its own eating disorder charity because you know, we understand that people do have a place to come where they can be understood. And even if that's um, the only thing they get, they get to talk about something and have someone who understands listen to them. That's really valuable. And so as somebody dealing with somebody with an eating disorder, if if we think they've got that, not dismissing those views and feelings is, is absolutely crucial, isn't it? Yes, it it is. Um, You know, I think before you can hope for anybody to change anything, you've got to understand what it is that they feel. Um, 
you know, I, I can't expect someone to change the way they behave. If I don't understand what the problem is and how it feels to them and the, the emotional pain that they feel, the emotional difficulty. And I think to be understood is so important. Um, yeah. And it's Eating Disorders Awareness Week this week. Um, I think that's really important. There's a lot out there on social media. Sweden have got a few things out there, too. So, you know, we are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. So um, you can see us there. But I think um, at the moment, during Eating Disorders Awareness Week, having an awareness of the fact that eating disorders aren't a choice, that they're incredibly distressing, that the emotional pain that people feel is very real is a really good thing to remember and be aware of. And I think it's a good thing to remember and be aware of, but all sorts of distress and emotional upset isn't it as well as eating disorders absolutely and you know all mental health issues uh that the the sort of emotional pain it it must be taken as seriously as physical pain um it's just as dangerous to us as living beings absolutely i think am i right in thinking that suicide is the leading cause of death in uh, males under 30 I think so. It's something like that, as I understand it. It's certainly a, a, a big cause of death for young men. So just to sort of remind us again, the resources are Sweden, uh, which covers Somerset and Wessex. That's right. Yes. Yes. So Wessex is a big area. So so that's Sweden, S-W-E-D-A-U-K dot org. Uh, and your telephone number is 01749 3433. Four, four. And is there an age limit on people that can contact you? Um, no, no, there isn't. We uh, work with children and young people as well as adults. So I think uh, our lower age limit is four and uh, we don't have an upper age limit. So um, anybody of any age can get in touch with us. And presumably if people can't remember the, the uh, lines that we've given out, if they ring Somerset Mindline, they will have all your details and we'll be able to put people in touch with you. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Um, Mindline, we've got a good relationship with Mindline and they can refer people to us if that's what people want. So certainly they'll give us uh, their contact details, give them our contact details even. <laughs> and um, yeah, or they ring the, the Swedish specific helpline, which is 0300 330 5464. Um, on Tuesdays between 8 and 11 and Sundays between 11 and 2. Lovely. Um, you know, that's been a really helpful introduction and discussion and uh, support to help us understand um, and de- demystify the issue of eating disorders. And our hearts go out as professionals to anybody who either is suffering from, from one or who knows somebody or lives with somebody who is, help is out there. Please do go and seek help. Um, the biggest barrier for all of us to, to seek help is actually shame. And if we can overcome that and, and just ask, there is help. Thank, thank you very much indeed for sharing with us, Nerissa. And thank you for all the, the good work you do. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast, hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.